Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to what is sadly the final installment of COVID College. I am Jack. And I'm Sean. And so today we were thinking that we were going to talk about, and we are going to talk about, virtual graduation and what comes next for college students in the future. But what we first wanted to kind of address was the developing protest and civil rights movement that's come in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And um, we just wanted to spend the first half of the episode talking and sort of addressing that in the context of college students and how college students can be involved and sort of speak their voice. Yeah. And Jack put a really eloquently. And I think the most important thing to start off is Jack and I, both as white men, are very in a very privileged situation, and we acknowledge that discussing the protests and their implications, um, we both firmly believe they've been a long time coming. They're contextualized within a long history of both overt and covert racism, systemic racism. That's something that's not up for debate. And there's been a lot of topics in the media that have made it appear that protests are more divisive than they actually are. And that's something that we're going to leave on the sidelines for this episode. And we're going to focus more so on the positives, the positive implications that are resulting from these protests and the positive messages that are being spread through these protests, especially through college students, as well as the potential for them to be these sorts of reforms to be reflected on the conversations that are being had on college campuses as well. So to start, we're going to be focusing on student mobilizing, especially. And I think right off the bat, Jack, the most, I think, powerful thing that I've seen is the proportion of protesters who are our age and Mm -hmm. from our generation and the initiative that people our age are taking to push this message that's being communicated through the Black Lives Matter movement, pushing it to the front of the national discussion. I was wondering what you had to say on that and different ways that you've seen people engaging with the movement. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really, really good point and a really sort of interesting part of this movement, at least from my perspective. It's been really empowering, even from my own perspective. And again, like Sean said, uh, the disclaimer that I'm a white man and I really, I really don't understand what it is like to be black in America. I'm trying and I'm trying harder every day to try to understand, but I don't, I don't, I will, I will never. But it's been really empowering, even from my own perspective, to see how many students and just people our age are getting involved, speaking out on the platforms that they have, but then also putting those words to actions. I went to a protest today, and there was probably over a thousand people, a good majority of them, around my age and just to see them in person willing to wear masks and bend the rules of social distancing to speak out about something Mm. in a system that they feel is very unjust and systemically racist. What have you seen, Sean? Yeah, I think the point you brought up there at the end, Jack, about this being such a powerful issue, and at least what I perceive is just the visceral reaction from the video of the whole George Floyd murder. I think how people reacted to that and the pandemic played a really big role in mobilizing people. I think people people knew that, yes, there, there are public safety guidelines in place that are advising people to you know maintain social distancing, but... I think the paradox there is part of the nature and the power of protests is the waves of the masses to communicate this message and to keep this issue and keep this message going and putting pressure on our both our local and our national legislators to enact meaningful reform, both at the police level and all throughout 
the systemic structuring of the American social, political, economic system. That That's just been the most powerful thing is people are saying, yes, there is a public health crisis, but there's also a racism crisis as well. And it's really important for people to come out and support. Um, I think protesting has been the most visually powerful representation of that. Mm-hmm. But there's been a number of other things that people have been doing. I know a lot of people my age have been posting on social media, different resources to educate themselves, as well as ways to donate. I mean, you know, not everyone, not everyone's equipped to go on the front lines of protesting, and that's totally understandable. But there's other ways to put yourself in that position of vulnerability or donate to the causes to make your voice heard through that medium as well. And I think that's just been a really powerful aspect of it. No, I totally agree. I think that kind of like you said, not everybody's equipped. I mean, there's a there's a really long number of reasons that you might not want to join a protest right now, not because you don't support the movement, but I mean, there is a pandemic going on. And it's important, I think, if you're in a situation where you might have a reason to not go or or are worried for going that I think it's important to find alternative ways to support that movement. And so like you said, like I've seen a ton of resources posted online, you know, countless links to petitions or donations for bail funds for protesters that get arrested, Mm -hmm. things like that, that I think are just as important and help continue to drive the narrative. Because this feels like it's going to be a narrative that continues on and won't just cycle through one media cycle and be done. I think this is going to stay. Yeah, this is something that I see as a modern-day civil rights movement, if Mm -hmm. you will. I mean, it's one of those things where it's something that's been building up, building up, and it's reached a boiling point, it's reached a tipping point, and it's it's become really evident through sustained protests, Mm -hmm. sustained unrest, that people are tired of this and that there needs to be change enacted now and not just saying that something's going to happen and kind of sweeping it to the side um, after the passion kind of boils over. It's something that it seems like it's going to be sustained for a longer period of time, which is definitely encouraging. And with that comes the question, how can college continue the conversation through their institutional policies? I'm going to start with what my school did in the wake of protests due to uh, racial epithets being scrawled on pieces of paper, on backpacks, and how that encouraged institutional reform. Um, As a result of these protests, it it came to the notice of the president and the board that reform had to be implemented right away. And a lot of really meaningful changes came from that push for reform. One of those was a council for uh, racial equity and inclusion that was introduced. Another one was the proposal for mandatory race and ethnic studies courses as part of the general education curriculum, um, which is still being developed, but it's one of the prioritize items as part of that curriculum redevelopment. So those are just a couple of the the really tangible sort of reforms that came from those protests that happened at my school. And I think it's something that, I don't know what, how you feel about it, Jack, but it's something that I, I can see as being a core element of what these protests can bring to light for colleges across the country. So what would you have to say to that? Yeah, I really think you hit the nail on the head there. There was a sort of racially charged incident in the town that my school is in the year before I got there, and there were a lot of protests. And the school and the business in town got into a pretty heated court case surrounding it. And there was, I still saw the resonance of that on campus when I was there. But even in the wake of these George Floyd protests, I've see, I got an email that got sent out from the president of the university that said that she is planning on founding these student and faculty combined committees to talk about race, to talk about violence, to talk about mm. 
police presence and things like that and a way to as a jump starting point what is to take the next step for what the university wants to do either mandatory courses or internships that they can offer for students or that they can help build networks for students to get colleges have a unique ability to get that small community of people together and there's a really sort of like a mm. testing ground for more radical or more mm -hmm. concrete or new ideas on how we can change the system and so i think that that's hopefully going to be a benefit of if we come back in the fall is that that'll be more present what do you think about that yeah absolutely i think you you hinted at it a bit but Colleges can act as testing grounds for groundbreaking policy, especially related to instituting reform with how how these campuses are policed, for example. I think that's another big thing. My school has public safety officers rather than police officers, and these public safety officers are unarmed. Um, and I think that that's something that's been talked about as one of the measures of reform is demilitarizing uh, police forces so that they don't have the wherewithal to abuse the power that's given to them with the badge. Especially on college campuses, I think that's a really important issue to focus on regarding how is the safety of the campus going to be ensured um, and how do we balance that with maintaining order, if you will. I think that's, that's something that is more relevant for larger universities, I'd say where you actually have police forces there that are police officers who are armed. I think it would definitely be useful for a lot of larger universities to re-examine how they're policing their campuses and whether it actually makes sense to have armed officers on these campuses and whether there's really been a discernible benefit from them being armed or whether it's the other way around. In, in my experience, it seems like having unarmed officers on campus would be a more effective way of ensuring accountability and safety on college campuses. But that's just, that's that's my take on the issue. I don't know if you have a similar stance. Yeah, no, I, I pretty much agree with everything you have to say. I think the only thing I would add kind of on top of that is on um, bigger university campuses, it doesn't seem to me that the presence of officers who are armed really changes college students' behavior specifically. Having them armed can only lead to situations of potential incorrect uses of force that we've seen countless right. times, most definitely probably more high against minority communities. And so college students all across the country at a school of 800 kids or 45,000 are going to jump out of a top window onto a beer pong table and try to break it in half. That, you know, that doesn't only happen <laughs> at University of Michigan and a cop with a gun yeah. or a, a campus police officer with a gun isn't going to stop that either way. Right. So I think that the conversation about demilitarizing the police is really important and I think will produce a tangible result that is very important and beneficial. And I think that that conversation should in some ways extend to college campuses, especially mm -hmm. looking, I have a friend that goes to Texas A&M and on her application, and this isn't even police related, but this is just generally related to that sort of culture that on the application, they ask, would you be comfortable rooming with a person who has a concealed carry permit? Having a policy like that seems to further instill the idea that the police officers on campus need guns because the students have them, which just seems so backwards to me. But yeah, I mm -hmm. think... It's a really important conversation. Absolutely. And I think even beyond that, once once students graduate and become alumni, I didn't even realize this was an option, but alumni have the ability to choose where their donations go. And I think especially when you have new, like I was saying before, new councils that are being developed to work on racial equity and inclusion, being able to direct your donations to those sorts of causes that you can get behind, especially on college campuses, I think is a really great way to both ensure alumni involvement while at the same time bolstering the worthwhile causes 
mm-hmm. that colleges should be promoting rather than maybe other other investments or other ways money are money's allocated that they may not necessarily agree with. So mm-hmm. I think that's another way of I think both serving the interests of the of the school. You know, it it incentivizes uh, alumni to both serve a worthwhile cause, serve a worthwhile purpose, while at the same time keeping colleges sustainable. If you can donate $15 million for a new football stadium, I'd like to see (laughs) match donations towards programs that help community outreach and help, you know, a scholarship fund for low-income and minority students. I'd like to see both of those. Right. Hey, MJ started the trend. Hundred million. He took the momentum from the last dance, and you know, hundred million dollars is a ton of money. That's going to produce a lot of meaningful change. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, with that, now I think it's time to make a hard to do and impossibly smooth transition to virtual graduation. Um, so, Sean, <laughs> I'm going to let you sort of take the wheel with this one. You've got more experience than me, so yes. Well, not by much. I'll add that. I can just give the the quick and dirty recap of what my remote graduation was like um, in the midst of the pandemic. Um, It certainly wasn't what I envisioned at the beginning of the year, but I think all things considered, my school did a pretty nice job of putting together a a number of speakers, both student and faculty, um, that were really reflective. And I thought they had some really both important and influential tidbits to share with the graduating class. And I think that that was something that I appreciated. I think they made the best with what they had. There's also, like I've touched on in past episodes, my school is also doing a full graduation ceremony next year in 2021 to give the class of 2020 a proper send-off. So all things considered, I thought it was a really nice ceremony. I think the one exception was we had Amy Klobuchar do a pre-recorded speech. <laughs> and I'm, I am I think Amy Klobuchar, I admire her for certain aspects of her, her ability to pass meaningful legislation and her career as a politician, but I was not too impressed with how this speech was structured. Um, a lot of tangents, a lot of kind of strange metaphors. She managed to tie the, the Cubs not winning the World Series for over 100 years to the delay in our graduation. Mm-hmm. That was a bit extreme. It was a little bit off course. It seemed to, it seemed like an intern had had written it in you know haphazardly in like an hour and a half and gave it to Senator Klobuchar and had her just read it through without any run-throughs. That's kind of how it seemed. I was happy to have someone like that speak at our ceremony, but nonetheless, it was still there's a couple odd moments. So it sounds like she was like Sleepy Joe, is what I'm hearing. A bit like Sleepy Joe, which is more the reason to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to yeah, say we that. Can, <laughs> we can in good faith make that statement. Can in good faith, but we'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was nicely done. Um, they had the St. Olaf Orchestra. I go to St. Olaf, or I am a recent graduate of St. Olaf College in Minnesota. They had the St. Olaf Orchestra play, and that was that was very nice as well. And yeah, I mean, I can't complain. I'm hoping to attend the in-person ceremony next year. That was the essence of it. Jack, what were things like at your school? Yeah, so I go to Oberlin College in Ohio. And um, from what I was able to see from it, I only knew a couple of seniors from the Frisbee team. And I just asked to talk to them a little bit about it. But from what it seems to me is everything was virtual. And they sort of like put on their cap and gowns. And I think there was a sort of like Zoom call type of equivalent that they all wore. Um, And I believe that they were like mailed their diplomas with a little, hey, sorry, we didn't plan on having a pandemic. Here's a (laughs) set of stickers along with, you know, the signed piece of paper with the stamp. Yeah, it seemed pretty sort of anticlimactic. I don't know if they're planning on doing a sort of joint 2021 and 2020 i believe there's been conversation of that so i think they're they're meeting the higher-ups are meeting to discuss what we're doing for the next semester 
So I'm sure that'll be part yeah. of it. But yeah, I think that that was probably sort of what you experienced at Olaf was probably, I imagine, a consistent theme throughout the country. Not the Klobuchar tangents, yeah. but the uh, the virtual. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something that we wanted to mention was not just here in the U.S., but if we're going global here, there is, there is if you go on to uh, YouTube and you search Japan robot graduation, um, there is a video of a university in Japan graduating their class using movable robots. And they take the, you know, they take the pictures with all the faculty in their robes. And it's just, it's comical. It's something, it's something you would never expect to see, um, except in like a, you know, sci-fi movie, but it's, it's our reality and it's happening in Japan. Yeah. It's almost like a black mirror spoof of right. the COVID pandemic. Yeah. We're taking COVID college global. We're going to Japan. <laughs> like the Beatles in 1966 going to the USSR. We're coming to Japan next. <laughs> Exactly. I thought that that video was really funny. And I remember we, I, we were brainstorming for this episode and I, I watched it for the first time. And I think like the first thing I said was, how is everyone behaving themselves? If I had control of one of those robots, I'd be doing little donuts, driving, trying to run over other people. Like I'm amazed at the maturity of the people that are, they're like iPads glued on to these like weird 1970s futuristic block segue type of things. Like it's really definitely just go watch it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely yeah. a worthwhile watch. The next question I had for you, Jack, given that you're going to be coming back or maybe not <laughs> next fall is how Oberlin specifically is potentially planning to bring classes back. You're not going to want to miss this, folks. This is something that I didn't even realize was possible, but I guess the pandemic, it stimulates creative minds. So what would what's going on at Oberlin? Yeah, potentially. Uh, if you could believe it, it actually does. Yeah, there's a couple of different options I've heard for returns, some of them with varying degrees of realisticness and intuitiveness. Some of them seem rather stupid <laughs> one of them was the classic just everybody's online for the fall semester where okay we're not going to risk that second wave come flu season mm -hmm. and there's no realistic way to do it i've heard other mentions of sort of closer to what ut austin is doing with a everybody comes but then everybody leaves on thanksgiving and then the rest of the semester is online and then I've heard this sort of like small rumors of this weird sophomores and freshmen come first semester and juniors and seniors don't. And then spring semester, juniors and seniors come and freshmen and sophomore don't. But then they have everybody come in the summer. And if they came in the summer, that would mean the sophomores and freshmen wouldn't be doing any classes that spring semester mm. and the juniors and seniors wouldn't be doing any classes fall semester. So it's this weird like mm. forced semester off and then everybody comes for college summer edition, mm. which I don't know if I like that idea. I don't know if I want to be forced to take a semester off. So we'll see. Do you know what Olaf is planning? Yeah, I think I touched on this in a previous episode, but there's still no definitive plan yet. A lot of it is similar to what you were talking about. So mm -hmm. I don't want to you know, repeat verbatim what you were saying. But yeah, a lot of combinations of having students back all on campus while having half the student body go to class one day and the other half go the next day, yeah. like splitting it by week, that kind of thing. The possibility of having students come back early and then going back home for Thanksgiving for good, which I think might be the wisest way to do it, just considering that this potential second wave of the pandemic is, is expected to arrive at the some point between those two time periods so yeah i mean there, there's there's a lot to consider and i don't envy the task of 
trying to come up with a plan. Uh, you're not going to satisfy everybody, but there's clearly a lot of thought being put into it. And I think the prioritization of health and safety of the students, faculty, and staff is is paramount here. So mm-hmm. um, whatever whatever way our respective schools decide to proceed, I'm sure it'll be a, a well thought out plan. Switching gears here, for someone like me, I am I am now graduated. I have a job that I am starting in a couple of weeks, and it has been quite bizarre, Jack. And for me, it's been fully remote up until this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I signed a lease on an apartment that I never walked through. I am potentially going to get a new car without ever driving it. Everything's being done without physically experiencing what you should, you know, yeah. up until the pandemic hit. I would never expect myself to be in this sort of situation uh, with post graduation plans mm-hmm. and it's it's been really bizarre i'm hoping it works out for the best i feel like i'm in a good spot but you never know it's something that not many other people have had to experience um, before me but my question for you is once you graduate do you think this this is going to change our relationship with technology once you start searching for a job do you think they're going to require you to have some sort of zoom proficiency because that's something I've been really curious about, just having to, for everybody, whether you're a student or uh, as part of your job, it seems like everyone's kind of had to take the reins and figure it out for themselves. So what do you think the future holds for you? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I could see a future where I graduate with a major in law and society uh, with a concentration in Zoom studies. <laughs> no, I think it's really going to be interesting. I do think that there will probably be... It was always sort of assumed that the younger generation was tech savvy and knew what was going on. But I think there might be a little bit more of an expectation now that beyond just having an up-to-date phone and social media that maybe you've actually taken a couple of classes that you can point to and prove and say, I can handle technological issues. Because like, I mean, like you said, and I'd love to, I'm definitely going to ask you some questions about what it's going to be like, you think it's going to be like moving during this pandemic, but (laughs) Yeah. Doing a virtual tour of an apartment and buying a car without even seeing it, like now you're asking car salesmen and realtors to work technology, make videos and not like we all know the art of taking a good video is not just pointing the phone and hitting the button. Yeah. There's a lot of ambiance and effort that goes into it. You turn into a film director. <laughs> got to set the scene yeah you become you, it's a whole different sort of marketing yeah you have to imagine it that you're trying to get the perfect video of your dog that's how i treat every video i take <laughs> with that seriousness so i mean right. like i guess my question for you would be did you have like an apartment that you looked at that looked really nice but the video seemed sort of not like the video didn't portray it very well or the <laughs> pictures were kind of you know kind of like uh i don't know well, here was here was my here was my problem with it is I did two or three virtual tours where the reception was awful. <laughs> so I, I I get to the end of it and they're like, "How how was that?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it's it was, great. It was okay. It was fine. I couldn't release really, like you know the the fan looked like a Minecraft yeah. block. You know, oh, am but... I am I? Is this 2009 Minecraft I'm moving into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it was it was tough and like it's just a matter of like the the Wi-Fi wasn't very good. Yeah, I guess that question, your question for that should have been, uh, am I going to glitch every time I walk through the apartment? You know? Yeah, just like Elon Musk, <laughs> Elon Musk's uh, new, new son. Yeah. yeah, well, I can't move into that one because if we become friends when we're older, he won't be able to get good reception for his body when he comes over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a couple experiences like that. And yeah, so like the apartments that I ended up trusting my impression of the most was like the pre-recorded videos because you got the full walkthrough. There's no reception issues. 
and I ended up yeah deciding on a place that just happened to have those videos already. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was nice just to be able to not have to worry about reception or anything like that. But yeah, that was like I was saying, that was a whole other sort of variable that I never thought I would have to deal with. Is like, oh, how good is this uh, you know apartment complex's reception going to be? Like I'm already getting a a little bit of a preview of like what I'm you know what kind of reception I'm going to have. So yeah. Yeah. Just odd. Yeah, really odd. Strange times, and quarantine has introduced us to a whole array of dilemmas that we never thought we'd have to face. But yet, Jack, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're going to move to our final set of Trump quotes. God, what an idiot. And I know you, you all are very emotional because this is an end of an era, quite frankly. Jack, do you want to start? I, I think you have a great one to, to kick off. Yeah, I can definitely start with this. And again, yeah, it's very sad that this is going to be the last one. Everybody have a box of tissues near you. And um, if you need to pause and take a moment, you're more than welcome to. But uh, no, so recently Drew Brees released, the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints released a statement saying that he personally would uh, not support anybody that knelt or sort of quote-unquote dishonor the flag and he received a lot of negative press from that but also a lot of constructive sort of criticism from his teammates and from people in these communities and he would then released another statement sort of walking back in those comments but our good old friend mr dictator trump decided to tweet at drew Brees after he sort of walked back in his initial statement and so donald trump said i'm a big fan of drew Brees." I think he's truly one of the greatest quarterbacks, but he should not have taken back his original stance on honoring our magnificent magnificent American flag. Old glory is to be revered, <laughs> cherished, and flown high. Dot 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 dot. We should be standing up straight and tall, ideally with a salute or a hand on heart. There are no other things you can protest. There are other things you can protest, but not our great American flag. And then at the very end. No kneeling. Now, Sean, just gut reaction. Go. Well, old glory, because it's in all caps. I didn't know people just like refer to that. The flag is old glory, just like on a whim and in a tweet. But <laughs> that, that for one, the whole idea of like how you should be stra- standing like straight and tall, ideally with a salute or a hand on heart. What you'd expect from Trump, very, you know, pro-military, that yeah. kind of thing. You know, respect our veterans. Clearly, he he didn't get the uh, the criticism that True Breeze um, received from his teammates and others in the uh, sports community. Um, maybe, maybe we should bring those people to Trump. It's not like they've been saying those same things for the last, I don't know, four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he must have just not been home when everyone was leaving messages saying, "Hey, that's not the point." I guess so. Like, I guess he might have taken a Twitter hiatus. It, it no? seems like it must have been just so happens that he put his phone down every time those conversations were being happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it's all just outrageous. Mm-hmm. The the only thing that I can think of, I have no idea if this is true or not. It's probably not. But like, aren't you? Shouldn't you really only like salute if you're from like a veteran or you're in the military? Because I don't know the correct way to salute. I feel like it's equally as disrespectful mm-hmm. to salute wrong. And also, like, ideally with the salute, is he trying to change the narrative for how we, like, look at the flag? I'd always heard, take your hat off and either put your hand in your heart or just, like, your hands behind your back. And now he's trying to change. Now, now everyone's got a salute now. Like, that feels very sort of like North Korea type of vibes. That's the vibes I was getting. I was like, oh, uh, the Nazis? (laughs) (laughs) Cough, cough, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Sean, what's, uh, what's your quote? 
Yeah, this one is fresh off the presses, straight from uh, st- uh, Trump's stubby fingertips. I'll just go out and say it. Wow. 96% approval rating in the Republican Party. Parentheses. And I believe this was before the quote-unquote great jobs numbers yesterday. Thank you. <laughs> now, now, we were talking about this one before the episode, Jack. The first thing that comes to mind for me is putting great in quotes, almost as if they're sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, Trump's a master of sarcasm. So I don't know how many of his followers saw this quote and were like, are you are you mocking the job statistics? Like, what are you what are you trying to say here? Like, I'm a little bit I'm getting some mixed messages. And I think the other thing that I found was the wow at the beginning almost is like he, as if he's in disbelief, like <laughs> the well-documented trend that his approval rates have just been, you know, in the toilet tumbling yeah <laughs> in the toilet and you gotta at least entertain the thought that maybe he's looking at this and he's like wow these <laughs> are still following me like great you know that's a surprise what do you have to say on that Jay? yeah no i agree i think i mean i saw the cnn little update that said i think we added like two new million jobs and sort of just the messed up mindset to look at 40 million people unemployed or whatever the outrageous number is and say, but we added 2 new million jobs. So these great job numbers came out where that's just like really bad attempt to sort of change the narrative and say everything's fine, but it's like losing $40 and somebody giving you $2 back and then you looking at it and going, oh, great, got $2 back, you know? I mean, it, it, he might be viewing it like if he's looking at the graph like any upward trend nullifies whatever <laughs> happened, you know, last two, three months. You know, those 20 million jobs that are that are, are gone now, forget that because we're building back up. Yeah. That's in the past. We're, 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 we're focusing on the present. We're back in the and present. Can... It's the, the line was <laughs> yeah. literally at the very bottom of the graph and he saw the slightest little tick up and he goes, ah, see, look, it picked up. It picked up. It's picked up. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just also 96% just doesn't seem realistic that just doesn't seem yeah no no yeah also no source like where are you getting this from are you making this number up in your head because it's like 69 backwards (laughs) and you think it's you know funny like i don't know yeah there's i don't think i've ever seen a politician or really any person ever in history with that high of an approval rating and i think the margin of error on these things is four percent so him saying 96 percent that's a real number. The margin of error could say a hundred percent, which I just like. I just don't think that's a real number. Yeah. And there's a lot of capitalized words in here. Approval rating is capitalized. Numbers <laughs> is job numbers is capitalized. It's just some weird right. grammar coming from him today. And not unexpected <laughs> at that. <laughs> yeah, but I think that sadly that's gonna bring us to a close. I think one last thing before we conclude this episode well as as a way of encouraging our support for various organizations that are working with um, the black lives matter movement to encourage reform we have a couple funds couple organizations that we would recommend that you look at and potentially donate if you have the means to Um, for me the two that come to mind are campaign zero which is um, an organization focused on combating police brutality through research-based solutions as well as reclaim the block which is focusing on ways to reallocate police funds to other community building initiatives for anything from uh, alleviating um, mental health crises in communities to issues stemming from educational inequity as well. Mm. Um, I think that's something that I think is 
really a really powerful way of looking at it beyond police brutality as looking at the system that we have in place and ways that we can reform the system. So I think those are two organizations for me, Campaign Zero, Reclaim the Block, that I recommend you look at and consider donating to. Jack, I know you have a couple as well. Yeah, no, definitely if you can donate to Sean's. They're both really looking forward and really trying to take these initiatives on the next step. Um, The two for me, the first is the ACLU. Donate to any local chapter that you can, but specifically Mm -hmm. the ACLU chapter of Washington, D.C. is suing Trump for his use of tear gas on the protesters in Lafayette Square last week when they cleared out a 100% completely peaceful protest so that he could walk to the, uh, I think it was St. John's Church, and do a photo op Mm -hmm. and sort of create this propagandic video. They're suing him for the constitutional breach on those protesters' rights. And then the Minnesota Freedom Fund, which they are a community-based nonprofit organization that looks to combat the harms of incarceration. And what they do is they Mm -hmm. help pay bail for low-income protesters or people that have been arrested and through the processes of these protests or the protests that have turned to riots. Um, So ACLU, any local chapter, but specifically the D.C. chapter and then the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Yeah, with that, we're going to put COVID college to a close. For now. For now. We're not going to completely close the door. We, we could be back. It'll depend on uh, how, the, how the numbers are looking going forward, you know, the contracts that will be um, negotiated. So we'll keep the door open to a potential return for COVID College. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of variables at play here, but for now, we're going to put a close to COVID College. And as sad as I am to say it, this is Sean signing off one last time. And this is Jack. It's been great. Thank you all for going on this journey with us. So hopefully we'll see you soon. COVID College is written and produced by Jack Pobolaitis, Sean Lonergan, and Sydney Pobolaitis. The show is edited by Sydney Pobolaitis, and the cover art is made by Grace Martin. The intro music is made by Kevin McLeod.